Hello and welcome to episode 228 of the Rollo and Slappy Show. Today is December 7th, 2020. I am Rollo McFlugel and joined with me is my co-host as always, Slappy Jones. Show notes page for this episode will be mcflugel.com slash 228 where you can find uh, the sh- yeah the show notes page, Mr. Redundant over here. But uh, things that, uh, links to the things we talk about as well as checking out our sponsor, libertymugs.com, and also to see how you can follow and see more of the guest that we have on who has been voted cutest guest ever on the Rollo and Slappy show. Mm-hmm. Slappy, why don't you introduce Overwhelming our, uh, our victory too, by the way. Welcome yeah. back to the show. Vake, Vake is the guest who... I guess was it our first Bitcoin episode that Vake was on? Yes. I yeah. Think so it was a it was a two parter. Yeah, yeah. So that was when we taught Vake all about Bitcoin. So welcome, <laughs> welcome back. Very yeah, appropriate. Twenty seventeen. Well, <laughs> you know what? I, I feel like maybe I taught you guys or showed you guys some things about it, but you guys have put out a ton of great Bitcoin content since then, and I feel like you guys have actually, in some sense, surpassed me. Oh, like, thank in you. In terms of knowledge, it's it's almost like a master seeing a student, you know become greater than he was like a proud teacher well i yeah i appreciate that and uh yeah i appreciate you kind of taking the time and kind of noticing that hey you're missing something let me uh let me try to teach you about Mm -hmm. this thing and then up being like the the best thing in my journey as a libertarian that could have ever happened because before bitcoin i thought man we gotta like convince people to be libertarians that stinks yeah, and you know what was kind of cool about that episode is, well, I don't even remember. Like, I remember when we were first buying Bitcoin, but it was years before that episode. And uh, Vake wanted to talk about it, and we're like, yeah, I mean, we have we have cryptos, you know? Like, all right, sure, what do you want to talk about? Like, we, 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 we get it. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was a learning experience for sure. So, uh, yeah, it's been a long journey since then. But uh, yeah. a great one. So, being a libertarian uh, pre Bitcoin was very depressing. It just felt like just a series of losses, and then it's like banging your head against the wall where you tell people something, they don't believe you, and then that thing comes true, but they never make the connection. It's it's it was a, a sad journey before before Bitcoin. Frustrating for sure. Mm-hmm. This is the yep. white pill, as they say. Um, so today we're going to be talking about, I guess, is it the white pill or the orange pill. I don't know what pill it is. I don't understand the pills. It's just <laughs> I don't really pill. understand the pills. pills either. I just know orange. <laughs> orange is always Bitcoin or my cat Grum. Uh, yeah, there's the red, blue, and orange. I don't know much about the white and black pill, but but someone we're going to talk about today, Michael Ballas, knows a lot about those pills. Yes, he's the pill <laughs> man. Constantly talking about them. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to talk about, uh, I guess, why more people aren't talking about Bitcoin. Um, well, libertarians specifically. Yeah, specifically libertarians, for sure. Mm-hmm. And because uh, there's a lot, you know, obviously, Rollo and I talk a lot about the potential or the inevitability of Bitcoin. Um, and I think it's only a matter of time before people start talking about it. But we've probably been saying, like, you could be saying that for a couple of years now. So, um I know you had some some specific things you wanted to talk about, Vake, uh, some tweets by some big time libertarians. So did you want to introduce any of them? Well, yeah, sure. I just want to say first that, I mean, I always felt that libertarians should have been amongst the first to recognize the power of Bitcoin, um, just seeing it for what it is, sovereign, non-state money, 
um, very similar to gold. And then the importance of Bitcoin in the sense of ending the Fed, drastically reducing the size and scope of government. And to some extent, Bitcoin or, or sorry, libertarians were amongst the first Bitcoiners. I mean, really, the I don't I mean, I guess you could say there's a technical crowd that was attracted to Bitcoin that was very computer science heavy. And then there was also the, the more ideological crowd, which were the libertarians like Roger Revere and um, actually Stefan Molyneux. I don't know if you guys consider him a libertarian. That's, I guess, up for debate. But he was I, very in involved realm. in Bitcoin early on. Um, but nevertheless, that was a very small subset of the larger Bitcoin community. And even those involved in Austrian economics, it seemed like very few went into Bitcoin overall. Um, so uh, I guess this round of, of, of us trying to get libertarians involved was sparked about a week and a half ago, I think it was, yeah, Sunday of last week, um, I basically started harassing Dave Smith and Michael Malice on Twitter, um, where I basically just started shaming them for not doing anything on Bitcoin. And I'll tell you what, I've listened to Dave Smith for probably five years now, um, his podcast on a regular basis. And I can probably count on, well, if we're not counting ad reads, because I think he has a crypto sponsor. I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've heard the word Bitcoin come out of his mouth. Um, Michael Malice, I haven't followed for quite as long, but I think he's hardly ever mentioned at all. Um, and so we really tweeted at him, got a big thread going. And then finally, Dave Smith said that he is going to do an episode on Bitcoin. On um, I'm looking at his tweet from November 29th. He said, okay, okay. I've heard the criticism over and over. So fine, I will do a Bitcoin episode. Who's the best person to explain it all to me and my audience? So then the Bitcoin community descended on it, and I guess we got a lot of suggestions ranging from Safe Dean to Robert Breedlove to Guy Swan. Um, who do you guys think would be a good guest for a show? I'd love to I, see Safe Dean. Yeah, I said Safe Dean. I also think Guy Swan would be would be really would be good. really awesome. Yeah. I think yeah. he would do well with uh, with Dave Smith too. Yeah, I've also I think Stefan Lavera would be great too because he's you know mm-hmm. uh, he's one of the guys in the libertarians or the, in the Bitcoin space that well is a very strong liber- not not the other guys aren't strong libertarians but uh, his Austrian economics and kind of libertarian ideals or he mm-hmm. just he, he's he's good yeah like a hot knife through butter yeah his libertarian credentials are impeccable in fact if you go to his YouTube channel. And you look at some of his older stuff. He actually has some libertarian content pre Bitcoin. Yeah, I used to, when when we first started the blog, there was he used to comment <laughs> yeah. on, like eight years ago. Oh no way, really? Yeah, and I saw him, and 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 then he kind of disappeared for a while, and then he came back on the scene and had this Bitcoin podcast. And at that point, I just became very anytime I saw something related to Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I just assumed it was like a B casher, uh, anything related to Bitcoin and libertarianism, because so many of the uh, popular libertarians ended up doing affinity scamming for Bitcoin cash. So I saw, oh, oh Stefan Lavera's back. I remember him in the Bitcoin cir- or in the libertarian circles, but oh, I'm sure he's just one of these B cashers like all everybody else. And oh, then really? the first episode is with safety. And I'm like, oh, no, he's legit. Yeah. And and I, I've, all been, I've been ones. listening to him and following him ever since. And, He's he's got one of the better shows. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not 100 sure who Dave Smith will pick. I've I'm a little bit nervous that he'll he'll get an all coiner. Um, 
I'm sure he will. Yeah. Yeah, especially if he does multiple episodes and, you know, maybe one will be a Bitcoin or another one will be somebody from Ethereum and some, another one from somebody from Bitcoin Cash. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, it's um, kind of in, it's it's interesting because it's. I mean, I I kind of understand why they would do that. I mean, our first episode with you was that you you came in and talked about Bitcoin. And we're like, oh no, 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 let's talk about altcoins too. Well, and we were that? talking like I remember thinking that was kind of strange, and that was right before the fork. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah, that was like Ju- June or July of twenty seventeen, and the fork was on August first. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, you were saying you only care about Bitcoin, and we're like, well, that's kind of weird. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that that's something. I mean, you guys have obviously just given me time, so we don't need to retread why. But yeah, it's something that's not apparently visible to someone new to the space why to stick to Bitcoin. Well, I think there's, well, there's the tech, obviously, the, there's the technical side of it. Um, but I think that Bitcoin, and it did this to me, it exposes people's lack libertarians lack of understanding of first principles and of austrian economics like we and and like i said i was one of these people you kind of had a loose grasp of what was going on but when it came time for something a little bit more difficult to understand maybe or not as not as obvious with monetary economics I remember thinking like, well, it's it's a free market and the best money is so it's great that we have all these cryptocurrencies and anyone can create one. And, mm-hmm. and it was a little bit naive, too. I thought it was since it was the, the market operating that I don't understand how there could be so many scammers out there trying to. Oh, that's not that's not the case where all these people are libertarians. So they, they've got these wonderful ideals that they're they're going by. Um, but it wasn't wasn't until after, you know, the run up and everything that started going down the rabbit hole of of Austrian economics and understanding money a little bit better. And it, it, it hits you like a, a ton of bricks when it does. But before that, I mean, I was making a lot of the same arguments that a, a lot of these libertarians do now when they think that you're being stupid or crazy for being a, uh, you know, a Bitcoin maximalist or whatever they you want to call it. Um, and it becomes very obvious is when you push them on the economic side of it and the Austrian economics, and they just don't know it at all. And they claim they they claim that they're talking and they're they're quoting Rothbard and Mises, but they like I'm still waiting for people to produce the the page in the book where where Murray Rothbard says, "Oh yeah, no, we're gonna have uh, eight thousand different uh, monies." competing together in an economy and that's that's what stability is going to be mm-hmm. yeah i mean libertarians love competition and competition is great in all sorts of consumer goods and services but the market for money is a little different um like we know money has a tendency to converge on one winner because the network and that network the larger it is allows you to interact economically with other people and so you always want to belong to the larger network because it's it just gives you more economic connections um, so that there's a natural convergence and that Bitcoin is a fundamentally superior currency to the dollar. So even though it's a smaller network now, it will overcome the dollar if, you know, as it progresses, but it, it, yeah, it's, it's not on, I, I know people kind of get wormy when they hear about how, uh, oh, it's, you know, we're not saying there's no competition like Bitcoin can't have competition or something, or there can't be competition. No, there's competition, but. Only there's there's really only one winner. It's kind of like think about it as like 
language is is that there's mm-hmm. no one like saying no you can't speak another language or try to have another language here well their government might but but you know that point we, we can we can imagine a world without government where everyone in a given area all speaks the same language because it has the greatest network and it allows communication same kind of difference with money so we're not saying that like oh no if you hear someone talking something that's not the vernacular uh, you get to cast them out of society or something. They're just not going to enjoy all the benefits of, you know, the rest of society who all speak the other language. Maybe their language is is really superior to the one that everyone's speaking, and it'll catch on, and and that'll become the new one. But it doesn't make sense that you know you would have people speaking multiple languages in, in a given society, and it's the same with money. So, also, if you had to pick one language, like say. You were just born, and let's just say you're put in Antarctica, so we're not in any particular country, and you get to choose one language to speak. Which one would be? I'd pick English, right? Because it has the right. largest network. Mm-hmm. Even in countries where people don't speak English as the as a primary language, a lot of people speak English as a second language. It's really the one. Right. Can get by on English. Yeah, you can you can travel pretty much any anywhere in the world knowing only English, but you can't say that for any other language. Probably. Yeah. I can't think of another one. You could do that. Uh, I don't know what it would be. Yeah, I don't Spanish, know. Spanish, maybe. French. Chinese. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, getting back to Bitcoin. Um, yeah, so there's obviously those network effects involved that, that make the, ten- the convergence on Bitcoin a lot more, I guess, uh, inevitable. Um. But yeah, but libertarians have a tendency to be very pro competition. So they, I don't want open mind. It's good to be open minded, but you shouldn't be open minded to the point of not using your discriminatory capabilities to determine, you know, to separate a quality investment from a trash investment. And part, partly to do that in within crypto, you have to sort of get a little technical and understand the trade offs involved in, in scaling the, scaling a blockchain or, you know, developing a bigger network. Yeah. there And, and we talked about this, uh, two episodes ago when we were talking about strategies for libertarian, for libertarians. And uh, at the end I brought up, you know, altcoins and how it's, and kind of this, this idea that libertarians tend to be agnostic about picking something in a market, like what they, what they like best, especially with, you know, they'll come out and say, well, uh, you know, Bitcoin sounds great and all, but you know, I'll, I'll, I don't know that it's going to be better than anything else. And so I kind of want everything there uh, so that the market can decide what's mm-hmm. going to be best. And it's like, okay, that's f- if you're really just ignorant about the economics and, and the technical stuff, I think that's that's a good position to have because why would you be definitive otherwise? But when you start, like, you can't be obtusely agnostic especially as you start gathering information. And I made the comparison and it's kind of silly, but it's, I think it's accurate. It was, it would be like if, if there are two hamburger joints at it, at an intersection and one of the hamburgers joints was serving poop sandwiches. And you're like, well, I think that the marketplace is the best way to settle who has the best hamburger. So I can't say that one place is better than the other. So I got to eat it both and I'm going to eat a poop sandwich and I'm going <laughs> to yep. say, mm, you know, well, the market hasn't told me that I shouldn't be eating this yet. It's like you are the market <laughs> and and your knowledge of things and how, how it works for you is how it makes the decisions. 
Yeah, you can be against government, say, government regulation of scams via, say, the SEC, and still be against Theranos. Right. You know, or WorldCom or Enron. Mm-hmm. You don't have to You don't have to be approve of those things. There, there are scams out there in the free market. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually found an old tweet from 2019 where a guy named Hodlewave, do you know him? He's on Twitter, on Bitcoin mm-hmm. Twitter. He wrote, this is from October 17th, 2019. He says, the year is 2034. Bitcoin has led to a 99% reduction in influence and power of the U.S. government. The libertarian wed dream has come true. At comic Dave Smith starts seriously considering an episode of Part of the Problem on Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. he actually replied well, to it and said he had naomi brockwell on his podcast talking about bitcoin uh, did he? at some point mm, well, i don't know well, like, probably don't not about bitcoin or yeah, probably sure. bitcoin and everything else yeah exactly yep so we'll see who he, who he picks um but i i will give dave smith credit for taking that chris criticism of of himself pretty well by saying all right you know what Let's see. Let's let's get someone on. Yeah. Um, and like you said, I hope he picks someone good. I mean, Saifedean was was mentioned eight hundred thousand times, and I think, and, and there are a lot of other like Guy Swan and and you know, Breedlove and and Preston Pish were mentioned too. So I think the vast majority of uh, mm-hmm. names mentioned were good names. The one thing I worry about that though is that I kind of wish Bitcoiners we had coalesced on one choice. Like mm-hmm. we had all yeah. picked safety. We'd all said Robert. Because the problem is if some people say safety and some people say breed love and some people say Guy Swan and some people say Stefan Levera, then then Dave looking at supplies is gonna be like, he doesn't know these people, right? Right. So he doesn't know that they're all Bitcoin maximalists. And so it's it's like it's like kind of like an election of we're splitting our vote and then a thousand Ethereans chime in and all they all say Vitalik. Then Vitalik is the one he invites on, not realizing that he missed the bit to 10 best choices but hopefully that doesn't happen well what was interesting was that um uh what's his name uh who's the guy that ran for uh austin peterson mm-hmm. sent out a tweet not long after all this happened oh. saying like hey i got a you know on the radio show we want to have someone come on and talk about bitcoin you know who are some suggested people and someone mentioned like some, it might have been Vitalik or something. Like, and no, you want to get him to talk about Ethereum. And Austin said, "Hey, baby steps. We're going with the uh, the main thing to start out with." Okay. What's so, your opinion, Austin I, Pierce, in general? I don't. I'm not a fan. I don't like okay. him. But I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy for anyone to talk about Bitcoin. Uh huh. Yeah. Bitcoin fixes this, and Bitcoin can fix Austin Peterson. Yeah, I mean, you cannot <laughs> understand cryptocurrency until you start with Bitcoin. It's the first cryptocurrency. It's still by far the largest. It's not as technically complex as, say, something like Ethereum, which is just so overwhelmingly complex. I don't know if it's even possible to understand it. Um, it's really barely even possible point. to run a node. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> but um, yeah, Bitcoin has to be the starting point, and then once you've mastered Bitcoin, then you decide whether or not you want to go on and understand, understand other cryptocurrencies. Yeah, so that's what I'm hoping with guys that are pretty green like a Dave Smith that he doesn't want to feel overwhelmed by having someone talk about, you know, 8,000 things or something that's kind of like Bitcoin, but not quite. Um, the other thing too, is I know he's close with Tom Woods and Tom Woods has had mm-hmm. some Bitcoin people spattering 
of people here and there, but he had, he's had Saifedean on, uh, once or twice and kind of recently, uh, uh, VJ boy potty, mm-hmm. which was a great episode. And that was uh, a good episode. Very much. Yeah. Which VJ would also be another great person to, <laughs> to have on. Yeah. Um, he so also had a debate between Jameson Lop and Roger Veer once also. I remember that. Yes. And that was one of the things that turned me towards Bitcoin. That was, yeah, you're right. I remember, I remember like that Roger Veer completely turned me off to anything other than Bitcoin on that. It wasn't even so much what Jameson Lop said. Yeah. With Roger Veer, I mean, you listen to one debate with him and you've heard all of them. He's yeah. very repetitive. So, I mean, that was about... Oh, that was January 2018. Wow, that was a lot longer ago than I thought. Actually, December 2017. Three years ago. Man, I felt more recent. Time flies. It felt like ages ago to me. Yep. But still, so even Tom Woods, he's had a few episodes on Bitcoin. and I mean, credit to him, but it's like less than 10 episodes. And I just looked at his website. He's had had almost 1,800 episodes. Right. So it's like less than less than a percent and we're talking about i mean we're all talking we're talking about this because we believe that bitcoin is legitimately the best shot by far we have of substantively reducing the size of the state right it should be more it should be more than one percent of your effort i think if for a libertarian bitcoin should be minimum five to ten percent of your efforts <laughs> yeah i mean i think that's that's Pretty fair. I mean, I, I when we first started doing the Bitcoin, I, I remember, you know, Slappy and I would toss around ideas like what direction we want to take the show we want to do. And we're kind of just a jack of all trades, talk whatever we want about mm-hmm. libertarian podcasts. But I mean, our episodes are just dominated by Bitcoin because I don't really care to talk about much else. Yeah, there's well, no progress they made on anything else. And once yeah. you start understanding it and seeing what is possible it's hard not to mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely i mean and i still like yeah. doing the other episodes but like having someone on who talks about taproot or you know the lightning network or anything else they're developing is just uh opens up your mind to what is really possible that's not being done yet or is still being mm-hmm. worked on and it's pretty incredible yeah, it's like we're no longer, you know, libertarians, we complain a lot, but we're no longer complaining. We're actually building and affecting change, and that's what that's what we want. Um, and so for guys like us, maybe our focus or our mindset is 90% Bitcoin, whatever. And I don't expect, and Rolly, you said this on Twitter, um, we don't expect the part of the problem to become a Bitcoin podcast and or the Tom Woods show, but it, should, you're, it shouldn't be less than 1% of their, like, Really, it's to them, it's close to zero percent of their focus. It should be five, ten percent of what they do. Yeah, I mean, I uh, it's it's once you're, I mean, once you pull back the curtain and see what's going on, I just I just don't understand how mm-hmm. you would you would want to talk about anything else. Uh, I mean, but at the same time, it's it's so it's kind of a kind of a weird thing because. As someone who has a podcast, if someone came up to me and said, hey, Rollo, you should absolutely talk about my pet project that I really love, XYZ, and if you don't, you're an idiot and a loser and a jerk, I'd be like, it's my podcast. Start your own if you want to talk about that. Um, so I'm sympathetic to the 
to them kind of being like, hey, um, you know, I'm going to do my show the way I want to have it. And we're not saying that, you know, like and you just by said, the not way, every too, they're successful doing what they do. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why would I change or go off when I'm doing what I'm doing pretty well? Yeah, it's like if if someone has a a, a baseball podcast, I don't know that would be how appropriate it would be for us to be like, you want to make the world a better place and baseball better. You should be talking about Bitcoin. Like it doesn't really wouldn't make that much sense for that. But for guys that are libertarians that kind of advertise that they're trying to come up with ways to fight the state and strategize and do all this other thing. I mean, a lot of these guys went and became members and recruited for the libertarian party. Which is utterly pointless. <laughs> right. And and I remember Slappy and I were kind of like, we were talking about it. And it's like, oh, you kind of do what you want, but it's not going to work. <laughs> um, so these these are guys that are interested in not just talking about libertarian stuff, but also trying to create that world. So I don't, I, I think they, you lose a little bit of the uh the what's it called um the ben not the benefit of the doubt i'm not trying to impugn any any sort of uh you know malice on these guys for <laughs> no pun intended uh but you start questioning i think i think it's reasonable to start questioning like all right well what are you actually doing what is the purpose of of having your show and what you're doing if you're hesitant to to explore the thing that so many libertarians with excellent credentials in libertarianism and economics are so excited about uh, Bitcoin for. Um, and I know when we do Bitcoin episodes, you know, uh, typically we get a million downloads per episode. But when we do Bitcoin episodes, we get a little bit less less of a listenership. Really? So, yeah. Um, because kind of we're kind of in have feet in both kind of camps as you know the the just the libertarians and just the bitcoiners and I'm trying to trying to bridge that gap because I think it's a you know it's a it's a great marriage bitcoin and libertarianism um and I think it's a natural pipeline for both sides you get into bitcoin and you end up becoming a libertarian you you're a libertarian as as long as you keep diving uh diving deeper into libertarianism and economics you're probably going to end up saying, hey, actually, I, I think Bitcoin's pretty good. Um, but it starts you, it starts to make you wonder at least. And, and I, and I hesitate that, and I'm trying to say this the right way because, you know, I'm not in their heads, but if they feel like their income suffers by talking about Bitcoin, um, I mean, that's kind of, it's not yeah, and the you're asking them to go against their, their 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 own interests, right? Yep. And so it's like, well, you know, I understand. I mean, for for guys that make a living off this, I understand that you you're making a living off it. But you know, if you're advertising what you're doing as, hey, we're doing everything that we can to fight against the state, and people say, hey, here is the greatest weapon that we have to fight the state. And you hear some excuse. Well, there's just so many libertarians, just or uh, so many Bitcoiners end up just arguing, and it's just 
uh, I just don't want to deal with all that infighting or it's a little bit too technical and I don't really want to grasp it. Well, those are all the same arguments you can make about libertarians and libertarianism in Austrian economics. Yeah. Like there's some technical stuff in Austrian economics that the average person isn't going to grasp. I mean, we, we smash our heads against the wall trying to explain why the minimum wage laws are not good. And then, man, who needs to tell any libertarian that there's all sorts of libertarian infighting? So it should be par for the course that what these excuses that you hear. Yeah, libertarianism itself is technical. I mean, I'll tell you what, I, I grew up a Democrat most of my life, right? And I became a libertarian because I, I was, went to college and, um, you know, I started taking, I was an econ major and I started taking these econ classes and the professor explained why, like, why, went, why rent control was a bad idea using, you know, supply and demand graphs. You explain why the minimum wage is a bad idea. And, you know, for most people, that those concepts are not intuitive. You have to actually go into, learn a little of economics to understand that. Or, um, you know, you learn concepts like regulatory capture, unintended consequences, trade-offs. I mean, there's a whole slew of stuff. Um, so, I mean, just like there's a gap between being, I don't know what you could say, a normie or just somebody politically uninformed to becoming a libertarian, there's a gap from becoming a libertarian to a Bitcoiner. And they just had to be ready to take that step. Yeah, so it's kind of when I hear those excuses, it, it it feels like a punt. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I think I think I'm a, I'm a little easier on them, I guess, because um, I get what you're saying that like libertarianism isn't intuitive. Like they had to do a lot of reading and a lot of learning and you know, to grasp the concepts. It's not something you're taught when you're a kid typically, but Bitcoin is new. It's on computers, which just, there's people who just don't get it. They don't want it. They don't even want to try to get it. Like you're talking about coding and whatever, even though you don't need to know that that was the one thing that Vake on that first episode, when we had you on, I remember you saying, you're like, if you understand economics, you can get it. And I'm thinking like, I don't even know what you're talking about, dude. Like, it wasn't, it was not, even when you were talking to us in that first episode, I wasn't there. Now, obviously we continued to learn and continued to go from there, but I just think it's like another world. It's a thing that um, people just aren't familiar and not comfortable getting into it. And there's a lot of different people talking about it and a lot of people they trust on different sides of the issue. And you just like your head spins, you don't know where to start. You're doing what you're good at, so you continue to do what you're good at. Um, that's kind of what I what I think. I'm a little easier on them. I don't think it's mm-hmm. so much a pun or wanting to avoid it. Or maybe they just don't see the potential there. I mean, when I first heard of cryptocurrencies, I was just thinking, cool, it's something that's outside of the state. I like it. Like, you know, I didn't see the power behind it and what it could really do. It was just like a way to... Hey, and look, the price goes up. Cool. Now what I bought last week is worth more money. Sweet. Like, I had no idea. Do you think libertarians have a loser mentality where they feel that they're just always going to lose? So they don't think it can work. So so they're not interested for that reason. That's another thing. It's like, oh, great. Some libertarian with an idea. Let's see how this one goes. Probably going to fail like all the other ones. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do think, I hate to say it, but a loser mentality has been bred into libertarians just because totally. we've been losing so much you know if it, it just it just feels like you know with the growth of the state that we uh just have been for decades now just taking step 
after step backwards. Um, but yeah, like it's also just highly technical. People, I mean, to learn about Bitcoin means learning about how to manage your private keys, running a full node, confirmations, blocks, all that technical stuff. And they just, people hate doing that stuff unless they feel it's absolutely necessary. So the real tragedy here is that, to me, is that if there's people that I wanted to hold Bitcoin before number go up and we hit a hundred thousand and a million or whatever, I, I wanted big libertarians to be amongst the first ones to adopt it because that Bitcoin's mainstreaming will produce a new wealthy elite. And it would be nice if that wealthy elite were overwhelmingly ideologically libertarian because they can, you know, liber- a lot of libertarians, a lot of money can do a lot of good versus, you know, if, if all the cheap coins are bought up by Wall Street or governments, central banks, they can probably perpetuate the existing system for a little while longer. You guys agree with that? I d- yeah. 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 I mean, to to an extent, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of funny. This is where I want to rip on libertarians a little bit. Because there is, with that, with that kind of loser mentality, you know, I'll just be blunt. I I think a lot of libertarians are losers and they're just contrarians and they just kind of go against whatever the, uh, whatever the status quo is and, and, and hate that they just hate the government because everyone else (laughs) loves the government. Um, so I don't necessarily think it's definitely the Bitcoin episodes, not the calling the listeners losers that, uh, turns (laughs) everybody listens to this podcast is a loser. (laughs) Rollo said it. No, I actually really like our list. Like we have in our in our Telegram group that we have, yeah, we've we have got we've got a good amount of people, and they're and it's and it's just the, the perfect perfect group of people uh-huh. um, for us. Uh, but no, and and I'm I'm speaking very generally, but I mean, you see the mindset with these people. They're, they're the ones. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about all libertarians. I'm talking about a certain type of libertarian, the kind that uh, I guess it's it doesn't it's a moot point because. You don't have the any LP, to buy anyway. I mean, if you want to talk about loser mentality, did the LP even try in the election cycle? I mean, they, uh, they, they nominated got, a very uncharismatic candidate. And did nothing for her. They got 1% of the vote. And then what was it like Reason Magazine or Cato? One of those came out. Yeah, I think and, it was Reason that said that she was like the most successful candidate. Yes, this is why her going from Gary Johnson's 5% of the vote down to 1% was was like a a raging success. Yeah, Yeah. and a win. Um, But I'm not saying that they should try to win because they can't. But like, I just, like like you're saying, there wasn't any positive to come out of that. They didn't get her any attention. She didn't get any attention other than negative attention. Uh, She didn't explain the message of liberty to anybody. Nobody heard it. Anyone who voted for her was just a protest vote. I, I don't think I saw a single Joe Jorgensen bumper sticker or heard of anyone say, are you voting for Joe? Like, other than Joe Biden, I guess. But uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's just a loser mentality. Like, they just threw a candidate out there because and maybe we can raise some money and keep our living going for another four years or whatever. Do you think she well, might spoil some states for Trump, though? Yeah. I don't think so. Like he could have won the election if if you take her out of the equation. I don't I, think so I because it. I don't think those people would have voted for. I think they would have voted Green Party or or whoever the Constitutional Party or whatever other party. I don't think like if you cared about the election of Trump and Biden, you would have voted for one of them. 
Mm-hmm. It, it was a really cont- like I, I don't think Joe Jorgensen was stealing votes from anyone. I think it was just the other candidate. Like I don't like these two people, but I vote, so I'll vote Joe Jorgensen. So in in there's a branch of economics called public choice theory. Sure, I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. James Buchanan, uh, Gordon Tullock, a few other guys. Um, there's a concept of it called the median voter theorem, and what they postulate is that. Uh, a third party will never really win the presidential election, but what they can do is they can shift the positions of the major two parties by acting as spoilers. So say if, if George Jorgensen had, had ruined the election for Donald Trump, what the signals to the Republican Party is that they need to move into a libertarian direction right. to avoid it happening in 2024. Do you think that's the case? In I don't this, think it's the case. I don't think, she, I don't think she, she got enough votes to be a spoiler. Um, well, also because of her messaging, things like it's not enough to be racist; you have to be anti-racist. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's just not, not even presenting a good message. It, it's, it was just an utter failure. Yeah, yeah, it, she just was not. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd, hate, I'd hate to fault her too much, just because she doesn't have the platform that the other two have. Sure, right? They just the media just ignores her by and large. So it's, yeah, well, it's, I. My criticism isn't necessarily supposed to be of Joe Jorgensen. Yeah, it's, it's of the all the libertarians that said that that jumped on and said, "Hey, we're going to change the LP from the inside, and we're going to get all these people to pay dues to join the LP and and do this thing." And it's and some of us were just kind of saying, "Like, dude, it's a political party. This this is going to be a disaster." Even and it if, ended up even if the LP became large, like a competitor, it would be corrupted from within. Totally. Yeah, it's going to be worse. It's going to be a worse version than what it is now, which is already terrible. Well, and that's what I think. Like even even in other parties, like uh, people say AOC is the future of the Democrat Party. I believe in maybe even less than ten years, she's going to be Nancy Pelosi. She's Nancy Pelosi in training now. Nancy Pelosi is going to show her the ropes, and she's going to be the establishment Dem in ten years. And you know, she seems like she's the um, revolutionary now, but I think she's going to be in that political world. And Nancy Pelosi is going to show her how much power she has and is going to train her. And she's just going to be an establishment Democrat like all the other ones. Yeah. You either die here or you live long enough to become the villain. Yep. Right. Yeah. So the kind of the, the the roundabout thing I was talking about there is that for all these people that would spend the time and energy in doing any sort of LP stuff. I'm not saying they devoted their lives to it, uh, but, but you know, there was a chunk of time that had to be devoted to doing whatever they did for the LP. Um, you know, what if they spent that? And that's when we had uh, our, our friend on, uh, do we call him Poncho or do we call him? No, he, Buck? Went, he went by Buck. Okay. When we had Buck on and he was he was making the argument that, hey, if we get a, you know, a good guy like uh, uh, Jacob Hornberger to just deliver a good message, I mean, isn't that worth the time? And I said, no, I think it's I think it's and especially for him, since he's a, a software engineer. I said, I think your time is way better spent working on Bitcoin. And yes, there's a learning curve to it. Yes, it's technical. But I mean, we promote every episode. It's always in our show notes page, 10 hours of Bitcoin.com. And I mean, how much did I'm sure what if what if all these people that were doing the LP stuff or whatever other thing that they're doing that doesn't work, they took 10 hours out of 
a week, a month, whatever it was, to go through that and to gain, a, I think, a pretty good grasp of, of what's going on in the space. At least just do that. But like, even that is just too much, too much for people to, to bother with. And again, I think it's because, um, there's, there's very much this, this mindset that they have to be the underdogs, have to say the world's against us, has to say that, you know, oh, you know, just have an excuse for everything and just kind of live, live in that shadow, just be angry and, and, and just say, be negative. I mean, negativity has, is kind of contagious and it's kind of, I have the, uh, I used to watch Ren and Stimpy all the time. And there was the, uh, the one character, Wilbur Cobb, who was this like delirious old man that went on some rant one time. And, and, and one of the lines in the rant was, so you want to be a genius? It's easy. Just say everything stinks. That way you're never wrong. That's how much of a genius I am. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's how people actually think. Yeah, a lot of libertarians. Well, like it's, I was saying, libertarians are just used to losing, so they think they have to lose for the rest of their lives. But we can win now, and that—that's—that's that's an unusual feeling for them. <laughs> and it's very right. scary. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I can actually win. <laughs> and 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 I and, and at the same time, whether it's the same people or a different group of people too, that they love going uh, libertarians love going on twitter or tumblr and going after these you know stupid normie statists who you make some you know crazy libertarian or economic claim to them uh like you know there's a school shooting happens and a libertarian jumps in this twitter thread when the blood's not even dried yet and go off on a rant about not having gun control and yeah i get it that's fine we don't want gun control but like to a normie that is just like, well, that's kind of crazy. I think I think it's reasonable that we, uh, you know, we don't let certain people have guns so they don't go and with a with a rifle and and shoot up a bunch of kids. And these libertarians come piling in. Oh, what a stupid idiot! I can't believe that. Oh, and they pile on, and it's like, all right, um, you know, there might be better ways of going going about making that point. But I think there's also this this fear that since they don't understand Bitcoin very well, they they can't just be sitting on their on their laptop or on their phone dunking on people all day. They're probably going to get dunked on a little bit whenever they when they do Bitcoin does come up and they have all sorts of stupid reasons why it's not going to work. They get dunked on, mm-hmm. and they're probably like, Ugh, "I really don't like this." Uh, so I'm just going to ignore it and do something else. Or you know what would be even better for all those opponents of gun control to do is be learn how to 3D print a gun. Right. Yeah. It's it's the same kind of same kind of energy. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of them do. A lot of them like that. And a lot of them. And and there are actually a lot of guy. And I've noticed it from some of the bigger names in the th- in the 3D gun, uh, 3D printing community for guns. Uh, they were not against Bitcoin, but just kind of like, yeah, all right, it's there, but you know, I'm not gonna. Uh, the last couple months or so, they've, I think they've started to understand it. Oh, really? And so you think that the the switch has flipped? Mentally? Yes, yes, because I think, I mean, the 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 disruptive technology of 3D printed guns that you can kind of put this power and control 
uh, into the hands of the individual that the government can't stop. I mean, that's the same energy as Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And so I think they, I think that's one of the things, at least that from, from someone who's not really in the 3d printer community, I, I think that's kind of may have what hit him that, uh, you know, the ideas and the concepts and why they're excited about 3D printing and why they laugh at people when they say, oh, that's, that's, that's got to be illegal. They'll make 3D guns illegal. And they just go, go ahead and try. Yeah. And they probably see Bitcoiners kind of making the same arguments. Like, yeah, go ahead and try to stop us. That's another thing. So, yeah, some libertarians may think that Bitcoin is bannable. They don't realize it's not really bannable. It can't be shut down. Yeah, I think right. pass. I mean, I think the government probably had a shot at shutting down Bitcoin in, you know, 2009, 10, maybe even to 11. But by 2012, 13, it started to reach escape velocity or is out of their control. But um, but there's still a mentality amongst a lot of libertarians that Bitcoin is something that the government can just take a few actions and shut it down. They don't they don't really get they don't really grok decentralization. And, um, and its implications. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you there. And, and it's, you know, I think a lot of libertarians tend to just kind of use decentralization as a buzzword. And everything has to be decentralized. They'll be like, we want to have decentralized mm -hmm. insurance. It's like, well, I don't know that you want to necessarily do it. That but that's way, the opposite but. extreme. That's so there's the people that are the skeptics about the whole thing and think it all be shut down. And then there's the people that get that go too far with it. So they go past Bitcoin and they jump into Ethereum or, right. you know, Tron or something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's definitely true. Um, what do you think about all the, like the, the gold standard people because i remember when when tom woods had a uh, vj boy potty on his show towards the end wood said something like now this is kind of like a crazy idea but like you saying bitcoin's better than gold and i don't know if he was just kind of setting up you know lobbing a you know lobbing a pitch for vj or if if that's his actual position that like i mean we're what's well, a hey, good question from somebody who comes from an austrian angle right so yes. to go back to Austrian economics, you have Mises regression theorem, and um, I guess the the ten second synopsis of it is that the origins of money had to be in something that had a non monetary use, and then it evolved to become money. Right. So mm -hmm. I don't I don't know exactly what gold was used for before, maybe jewelry before it evolved into money. Right. But but they believe that it had to have some use, like um whatever seashells or whatever they're used for maybe were used for jewelry as well and then they became money in some ancient civilizations tribal civilizations. yeah there, there had to be a reason that someone would want mm -hmm. it yep so that was the reason Which, that mises gave um trying to think through like mises's you know i think he wrote this when did he write human action in the 1940s right yes yeah i think you know he's just trying to describe you know he didn't have the benefit of seeing bitcoin in real time. And I think maybe if he, had, if he was alive today, maybe a lot of his theory views on money may be quite different, but he was just trying, he believed in the gold standard, obviously, because he was an opponent of fiat money. Um, that's what you had. Yeah. That's what he had. Yeah, I don't blame him. Yeah. He tried to create an explanation for it. Um, mm -hmm. And so then a lot of Austrians 
I mean, I guess you can say it's kind of true in any sort of a, a philosophy or religion or something, but people hew a little too close to what the doctrine says and don't think for themselves. They just try to rationalize the doctrine. So a lot of Austrians just stuck to the regression theorem and thought that was the only reason. That's the reason why Bitcoin couldn't be money because it doesn't have a non-monetary use. Um, and then there's also gold is a career for people like Peter Schiff, right? He makes money selling gold. And so they have a strong uh, financial incentive to keep gold sales up. They don't want Bitcoin competing with them. And frankly, some of those people may be large donors to the Mises Institute. Um, now, I don't want to impugn the Mises Institute and say that they were, you know, corrupt or whatever. But they, they, they haven't been anti-Bitcoin. They just haven't been pro-Bitcoin, as pro-Bitcoin as I like. I'd like. Yeah, Jeff Deistat speaks pretty well about it when he does. And, he does. And they've had... But I heard him recently, like sometime within the last six months, talk about the potential for a gold-backed cryptocurrency, and I like did a facepalm. Uh, really? Yeah. So uh. um, I don't think they really get it. And then there's other guys at the, the Cato Institute, which I know are not Austrians, but George Selgin, who is a pretty renowned free banking economist. I mean, I was familiar with him mm-hmm. before I got into Bitcoin. He is actively hostile towards it. Pretty much most of the Cato guys are. And I'm like, just it's it's kind of a shame for me because I'm, I'm a former Cato intern. <laughs> um, shame. Yeah, I know. It was a long time ago. Um, Back in yeah. your Democrat days? <laughs> uh, no, it was right. At, so I was a Democrat in high school. So that was up okay. to 2004. And then 2005 when I was college, I became a libertarian. And then I entered at Cato right after college. Um, yeah, so... Well, even, even uh, was it last episode we, we covered the libertarianism.org article, like the your guide your guide to intro to Bitcoin, and it was awful. And I think that libertarianism.org, I think it's a Cato. Yeah, yeah, it's owned by Cato. Yep. And it was it was brutal, like on, on a lot of levels. So it's uh, Oh, it's, it's I have read this. Okay, this is from November. Well, I'll have to read through this. Yeah. Man, yeah, they, they have not done very well. I mean, it's it's really a shame because there's a lot of resources that go into the organizations, and for them just to not get it is really sad. Because if you think about it, the people that have been really pushing Bitcoin forward have been independent content creators, the ones that are spreading That's the like, word. yeah, it. Yeah, so you, like Which you is... guys or Stefan or TFTC. Um, yeah, guys, yeah, guys, Swan, there's, there's a number. I mean, there's, there's, uh, um, citizen bitcoin there's there's a lot of content coming out that this is why ultimately i'm not that concerned about it uh because i don't think you stop bitcoin you know in the network wise or with it people jumping on to it and if the kind of legacy libertarians want to continue to resist it then they're just going to get obsoleted like everything else that tries to fight against mm-hmm. Bitcoin. So like kind of join or die is, is, is what the slogan kind of is. And, and we're, I mean, maybe we're giving them a little bit of, uh, uh, a warning even by saying, Hey, you know, you guys should be talking about Bitcoin because yeah, you, know, you might take a little bit of a hit now and in, in listenership or something by talking about it and, 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 incorporating it more but if you don't you're gonna 
not be around <laughs> later on, probably. In the marketplace, innovation comes from the fringes, right? So you have like yep. in the 90s, you had this dominant company called Microsoft, which is, you know, the overwhelmingly, um, the overwhelming large supplier of operating systems and also word processing software, Microsoft Word. And then they totally missed the bone of the internet. And that shift from, you know, desktop to, you know, the web was basically commandeered by Google um, when it was a small startup. Now, Google is a big corporation, but it's it's a series of big big organizations being disrupted by smaller, more nimble ones. And I think we're seeing this not just in, you know, the marketplace for goods and services, but also in the marketplace of ideas. Um, so the legacy libertarian institutions, Cato, Reason, Mises, even Fee, um, like uh, the, the um, Foundation for Economic Education, they're being basically displaced by smaller content providers. Content yeah, that is, that is a good point. And not that we're going to... Uh you know, become the new Mises and Google.com is going to be going to become the new Mises.org. But no, we can. I mean, we're, we're a little, little website with a little podcast and we can take that. We could take a huge risk and be like, Oh, if it doesn't work. Then whatever. We'll just do whatever. It was funny too, because I was thinking about it today with, um, th this idea of, of these legacy companies, not catching, being too big, and uh, monolithic to be able to, you know, jump on the Bitcoin. And I was thinking about, you know, the first Liberty mug that we sold for Bitcoin. And, you know, I was thinking about in the textbook, 100 years in the future, it's like, you know, and this company Liberty Mugs, because it sold that mug for Bitcoin in 2018 for, uh, you know, a million Satoshis, mm -hmm. they became uh, basically the new Apple. <laughs> How much, <laughs> how much wealth that gave us, but uh, but I mean that will, that's an exaggeration, but that's what's probably going to happen. Companies that are that are building up a, uh, you know, a base in Bitcoin, uh, financially have have the potential to just absolutely leapfrog everybody else that that doesn't do the same thing. And to 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 kind of parallel what you're talking about with these. Uh, with these think think tanks and and other you know traditional libertarian or bigger organizations, yeah, it's like MicroStrategy may be the largest company in the world in like twenty years, right? And all that's good. I mean, this is good. These are good things. I mean, I I love the Mises Institute. I don't. I hope no one you know misunderstands that. I love Tom Woods. I love Dave Smith. Um, but if if they end up, you know. This is this is what the market does. It things that aren't good enough, uh, or or don't make the the proper changes, they kind of go the way of the dinosaurs, and and that allows those that are uh, better to kind of move it in their place. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's not to, and that's not to say I'm saying that oh these guys are going to be you know this time next year you know these Bitcoin podcasts are going to have you know I I really hope and I think that they will. Um, make a little bit of a change. They're not they're not dumb guys, by by any stretch. And the other thing, like you said in the beginning, that you want libertarians to uh, you're rooting for libertarians to ad uh, adopt Bitcoin and become successful and power. You know, wield a lot of power and wealth. And I really hope 
Dave Smith and Tom Woods and the other guys at the, the Mises Institute are end up doing that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, you, we want them to front run Wall Street, central banks, corporations. I mean, I want them to be the ones holding it, but at this rate, they're going to be, they're just going to get on board just like every other normie when they should have, when their ideological, their, their ideology should have given them a head start. I mean, it, right. it, I mean, to some extent, being a libertarian is what helped you and me into Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. It's what, oh, it's 100% what, for me. Yeah, it's what, it's what gave, it gave you the capacity to understand the necessity for it. Yeah, you don't want to be, I mean, it's, it's okay. And that's why I say to people too, it's like, you know, it's, it's never too late to buy Bitcoin. So if you're, you know, trying to pay down a lot of debt or, you know, struggling to make ends meet, don't have a lot of money to put into Bitcoin, as, as long as you are a productive person, you will, you know, it, it, once hyper Bitcoinization happens, once Bitcoin takes a larger chunk of the wealth in the world, as long as you are not a, a slug, as long as you're a productive person, you will benefit from Bitcoin, even if you're not buying it now. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's not like it, it's it's not like these guys are going to end up being poor. I just wish that they would, uh, like you said, be interested because of the economics of it, because of the libertarian aspects of it, and not be like, you know, my kind of normie brother who is now interested in Bitcoin because of number go up. Yeah. Well, I mean, to fair, I mean, to be fair, I think number goes up is what gets us all in. I mean, Oh, absolutely. No, I, I, 2017, I think... right. Number was going up. Then I got in, in April, 2013 when it crossed a hundred dollars and number was going up then too. It's just number goes up is what just, it's what brings the headlines. It's what, you know, you know, yeah, I, I, yeah, oh, yeah. Everybody the, the NGU rich, technology, so, yeah. nothing, nothing comes close to the effectiveness of the number go up yeah. technology. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's kind of a shame that guys that have the asymmetric knowledge of economics and libertarianism that would have given them an edge don't have an edge. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's yeah, they're they're basically going to be just as behind as any average Democrat or Republican. They'll be stacking over 100k. And <laughs> sad, but and they're they're going to have regrets. I mean, trust me, we're trying we're trying to warn them about the regrets they'll have in five years. Yeah. But, but I know. I mean, I I it's fun. I, I keep I know I keep saying this, but it's like I, I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound like I'm just being an absolute you know, jerk or arrogant or cocky, but I also just don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll learn their lesson when the number goes up. They'll realize yeah. they should have gotten involved years ago. But. And they'll do the same thing that we all do. Even those of us that are stacking sets now and say, ah, I should have bought more. Mm-hmm. I always yeah. say that. That's another common thing, you know. Should have bought more. Maybe you spent some Bitcoin a little while ago and you regret it. So you have to live with that. Yeah. But if you're stacking consistently, I mean, and you're not, you know, spending all of your sats and you're keeping some aside, you should be good. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I think if you're interested in Bitcoin now and just kind of even even if you're just starting to be like, all right, well, let me let me let me look at this Bitcoin thing. I'll, I'll go watch your 10 hours of Bitcoin.com. We're still so early. It's it's <laughs> it's mind boggling. Ninety nine point nine percent of people. I mean, how many people do you think actually own Bitcoin in the world? Maybe I'd say less than 10 million. Maybe 10 to 20. I don't think more than yeah. 25 million. I have no yeah. idea, but I know that very few people, like almost no one ever comes up to me and talks about Bitcoin unless they know that I know about it already. Like, there's a, if, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I don't know that many people who have it outside of like my circle, who my friends who I talk about it to, like, yeah, some of them have bought it. But and there's and like, there's the guys that always just, you, you send you the text every six months like oh, I'm buying Bitcoin yes, what do I got to exactly. do what do I got to do and they send you the same exact thing every and you're like all right but I don't have any like coworkers who came up to me and were like hey have you heard of Bitcoin do you know what the, like never happens my sixty something year old manager actually bought Bitcoin a little while ago and he just recently started doing a uh, weekly buy good nice at, at not not a small amount good good for him good for him I just got to get him to get his Bitcoin off the exchange. Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, so, you know, you can push people to buy Bitcoin, but then pulling off the exchange is the next step. I know people I've told to buy Bitcoin and they did it, and then they just left it on Coinbase for years. Yes. Well, it's it's a big, people get paralyzed by thinking that it's some of this crazy, uh, you know, you need to be a computer whiz to to run a node or or do this other Bitcoin stuff. And, And I... I realized kind of mm-hmm. kind of recently that it was like, well, running a, a full node was never like a big deal to me because back when we got into Bitcoin, back in like I don't know, start around like 2014, your only option was to run a full node, and it wasn't you just did it. You just all right, I got to download this. The okay, chain, wait for it. I got to yeah. I got to wait for this little blue line to go all the way to the right. Okay, all right, now I can use it. All right, well, let's go. Yeah, there so were no hardware wallets back then. Um, you could use a paper wallet. That's what I first used. Um, yeah, but the very early days, yeah, yeah Node was the only possibility before Lightning developed. Yeah, after after hearing people say like, ah, uh, and even Bitcoiners, people that are you know fully in line with all the the arguments and everything and you know bitcoin maximus just like anybody else they hesitate about running a full node and i, I was kind of like i don't know i guess people really don't understand how easy it can be and so i wrote that article two weeks ago or something where i just went through the took screenshots of clicking net of of going to like bitcoin.org click this download button all right click this thing now click next 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 all right now you wait and got a lot it got a ton of views and a lot of comments being like oh i had no idea oh this actually i feel like i i i, I think i could do this yeah this i yeah. could do that oh, yeah yeah it's not a big deal and now you can you know there's always hardware nodes right like the noddle mm-hmm. or um the raspy blitz you can buy right or do you have to do it do it yourself you can buy a raspy blitz you can also i have a raspy blitz i bought all the hardware myself and, and assembled it but i i you know, I barely know code and everything. And I, you know, doing Bitcoin stuff has made me use, you know, Linux. Um, but I mean, the guides are so 
straightforward and easy. Um, you know, it's not that as long <laughs> as long as you follow the instructions, which I didn't do, and that's why I had some some problems. It, it works, and if you run into any sort of problems, as long as you can, you know, use Google a little bit or go to the places where they say to go look for help. I mean, the guys that are like the main developers of all this software and stuff, they are incredibly accessible. Yeah. Telegram channels. Yeah. You go on a telegram or, or, or go on GitHub, man, they answer right away. They're willing to help. It's the resources that people have available to them. As long as they show a little bit of effort that they're trying to do stuff, I, I don't know where else you get this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why I, I, I understand people are hesitant, but man, just, just dive in, just start doing it. And it'll, you know, you'll kind of just kind of find your own way. Really. I think as, as long as you, you know, I don't know. I, I can't, <laughs> I could tell my parents to do this and they would, they would get hung up because they're, you know, they're older boomers and, there's issues related to using a computer that they that are going to hold them up. But if you're, you know, a Generation X or a millennial or something, and you should like the basic stuff should be kind of intuitive enough that you can handle it for the you know the average person. So when I when I talk about this stuff, I, it might sound like I'm being critical of these people. I'm trying to be very encouraging to just be like, hey, you can probably handle it. Just go out and do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people, it's just, they just feel like it's it's too much work and effort and they don't see the, the benefits. But yeah. when number goes up, they'll, they'll all get involved at the same time and and uh, they'll be playing catch-up, which is yeah. sad when they could have been ahead. But that's a circle of life. Not everybody can be a front-runner. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it reaches the point, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm never going to stop screaming about bitcoin but at least i've i've come to the point where it's like if someone's going to give me if i say hey you should buy bitcoin and run a full node if someone you know gives me some snot or something then i'm just like i don't care have fun staying poor (laughs) but there are people that are that are out there that are genuinely interested and and have questions and yeah i'm going to spend my i'm not going to spend my time begging someone to use bitcoin Mm -hmm. everyone's got to discover at their own pace Right. Although so, we do try to give certain people a push. That's why we yeah, harass yeah. David well, people, Steve Smith and Michael Malice on Twitter. Well, it's because those guys can provide a lot more leverage. Mm-hmm. And they can get and a lot can... of people interested in it. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I've always kind of been a little bit, I mean, I think that all the Bitcoin podcasters do, podcasters do a great job, but we have kind of created a little bit of an echo chamber where Bitcoiners listen to Bitcoin podcasters and Bitcoin podcasters are preaching at the choir. Whereas it would be nice if you can every once in a while break out of that that circle and you can get a whole new community pulled in. Right. And so that's what Dave Smith has. He has an entirely separate community of listeners. Some are Bitcoiners, but a lot aren't. And if he does a Bitcoin episode and he can, you know, then we have new people to join that are ideological compatriots. Well, there's, there's so much opportunity in the Bitcoin space that would appeal to libertarians like Dave Smith and those, especially with like all the censorship stuff going on. It's like, man, like if, if, if someone could explain to them like how, what BTC pay server is and how it's like, you don't have to rely on PayPal 
And if PayPal does like they PayPal doesn't have any more power over you, you can run you can run your own payment processor. How powerful is that? Or or the stuff that uh, Adam Curry's been talking about, where he's been doing the Bitcoin podcasting circuits mm-hmm. with uh, podcasting 2.0, where it runs kind of with the Lightning Network that you stream the podcast and they pay you as they listen. And you can pay up, you can set it up this stuff that if uh, let's say I'm using this and, and people that listen to the podcast are, are streaming a couple Satoshis to me every minute or so um, I can set it up where I get half of it and slappy gets the other half, or, you know, we want to invite guests on and want to provide them some incentive to, to come on. We say, Hey, we'll give you 25% of the money we earn on this, Mm -hmm. of the Bitcoin we earn on this podcast. We can set up that this episode 25% 25% of the money that goes through here goes to you. Or we can put out a bounty and say, hey, you know, recently, uh, a couple months ago, we changed our uh, podcast logo. And, you know, we offered a bounty for it. And and we could have done that where we said, all right, either, you know, this block of episodes or this specific episodes or for every episode coming out, you can get, you know, 5% of what we make here. And it just sets it up and it's all done through Bitcoin. I mean, so much stuff can happen from that and it and it removes you know libertarians for good reason are concerned about censorship and and getting uh you know blocked out from polite society this bitcoin provides us as a way to escape that those problems yeah dave smith has done numerous episodes on tech censorship and i mean you think you know especially maybe not so much social media censorship but paypal censorship bitcoin routes right around that I mean, we all know about Gab, um, the the social media company, which is the competitor to Twitter, which had its um, this payment processing revoked by the credit card companies and PayPal. So what do they do? They use Bitcoin as a form of payment. Um, but I forget where else has Bitcoin been used. Well, I guess the the, the best example, well and Iranian governments. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the best example is Silk Road, right? You can't mm-hmm. use. Um, that was really the original killer app for Bitcoin was something that you couldn't use credit cards for online because to buy drugs. So Bitcoin was the was the only thing that uh, Dread Pirate Roberts could use as a foreign payment. So, yeah, it's censorship-free money, and you would think that'd be very intuitive to a lot of libertarians, but mm, I guess they just don't care. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Look at there. Like everything else, Bitcoin fixes this. Um, yep, sooner or later. They'll get it soon. They're going to have to. Then I'm going to have to harass them about talking about tractors. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm eager <laughs> to see who Dave Smith has on on his podcast to talk about it. It's, yeah. been about, it's been about a week and a half, and he's dropped three episodes at a time. Nothing on Bitcoin yet, but maybe he's just, you know, finding guests first. Yeah. Yeah, waiting on waiting on pins and needles, and that's kind of a neat thing when someone new comes into Bitcoin. The Bitcoin community is like, well, they will welcome you with open arms and be really gracious and patient and really excited to have you on board. Now, they'll also bite your head off if you start doing dumb stuff too. <laughs> um. But yeah, I'm 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 really hopeful that Dave has someone good on, and so he gets the uh, gets the full happy welcome from the Bitcoin community and sees what kind of uh, 
sees what happens when the cyber hornets are uh, on your side. If a month goes by and we still don't see anything, then I'm going to call him out on it, though. Yeah. Well, Alicia had some success with him more than... Yeah, I mean, he never responded to anything I tweeted on before, so... So, I mean, this is a first. Yeah. Yeah, There you go. Look look at Vake making making waves (laughs) in the... uh... Well, you know, if you harass somebody on Twitter enough, eventually they have to respond. Yeah, or or they block you. Well, Michael Mouse blocked you, right? He hasn't blocked me, actually. Yes. Yes, it's because I'm I'm, I'm a much more fearful... uh, or fear-inducing uh, opponent, apparently, than Vake. Well, he did say that I'm the exact type of follower he dislikes. <laughs> he said, please don't ever listen to my show again. You are the precise kind of follower I despise. Well, congrats on that. He also, so Michael Malice, in that thread, lied. He said, I promoted Bitcoin on this obscure show called The Joe Rogan Experience. So our friend Steppy went through the transcripts of Rogan shows I found that no, in fact, he hadn't. <laughs> he went through all. He went the transcript of all four episodes that Malice had been on Rogan. Wow. And he searched for Bitcoin, and the only time he mentioned Bitcoin was he had mentioned that um, Bitstein, Michael Goldstein from the Nakamoto Institute, had was a friend of his, and he's into Bitcoin. That's all he said. My friend wow. Michael was really into Bitcoin. That's him promoting Bitcoin in the Joe Rogan experience. So he basically <laughs> told a bold-faced lie to defend himself. Yeah. Ah. Oh well. Life. That's the life of a libertarian <laughs> influencer. <laughs> Why would you like, like that little show called the Joe Rogan Show? He must have thought he did. Why would you say that if you didn't? I think he's just pulling things out of his ass. Just threw it out there. Yeah. I'm thinking like nobody. I mean, that's his thing on Twitter. It? He just he just throws lobs bombs around. Yeah. He he's like supposed to be like some people. He's like a great tweeter dunks on people all the time. It's like, I mean, fine, but yeah. What, I, wish I, dunked, do... I wish, I wish I got a dunk. That's, that's the, the only thing I'm upset about with him. Blocking me. He dunks. didn't like, he didn't slam me before he dunked me. Like that's supposed to be why you tweet at Michael mouse is so that mm, you just got you just block. shred it and well, I just got a block and it wasn't even, I didn't even say anything that bad. So he thinks that little of you. Yeah. It was it was because he he posted something like oh I got a donation um, address Bitcoin donation address on my website and so like and someone was like yo dude it's a static address you're kind of doxing your Bitcoin that's really not good and you know he gave some sort of reply to that basically saying like hey, shut up and I said hey you're really kind of cutting your nose off to spite your face here yeah he I think he's the kind of person that. It's almost like, you know, like a teenager or something. Like, they hate being told, like, what to do. <laughs> when really, you're just offering advice. You're saying, this is not a good idea, okay? Your stack addresses kind of give up your privacy. Um, but then he's they, they always react negatively because they think you're bossing them around. Um, but one thing he hates being referred to as a libertarian. He says, you know, <laughs> I've heard him say he's an anarchist. So I think I propose that we always refer to him. As libertarian influencer <laughs> Michael Malice. <laughs> <laughs> from now on, just always call him a libertarian. Just That's to annoy him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we libertarians are the most awful group that there is. So <laughs> I kind of, you know. <laughs> We're a very ornery, disagreeable bunch. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you should take the other ornery, 
<laughs> fiery, disagreeable bunch and combine the two. Yeah, just yeah. mix them up. Mm-hmm. Well, I, but, I always uh, found like the thing where I don't want to be called a libertarian. It's just like, oh, I don't like it when people always try to reject labels. Like, I find this a yeah. lot with, with people on the left side <laughs> of the political spectrum. People that are very clearly progressive, they'll say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a progressive. I think for myself. And then you're like, okay, uh, what do you think about uh, abortion? Well, I'm pro-choice. Okay, what do you think about taxes? We should raise them on the rich. Okay, do you think we should, um, you know, give universal health care? Yes. And you go through all the positions and they line up perfectly. But then they say, I'm not a progressive. It's like, or I'm not a, a liberal. It's just like, all your positions fit fit it. It's like, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's it's a duck, probably. Like, yeah, I, uh, I'm with you on that. Totally the whole, there's there's a lot of libertarians out there, and I'm calling them libertarians because they are libertarians that yeah. say, oh, I'm not a libertarian. But then their positions on anything Everything has never really changed. Yeah, People so have a tendency like, uh, to try to pretend that they're more independent than they really are. I'll be the first one that I'm not independent, I'm a libertarian. So everything you hear from <laughs> me is to be promoting libertarian ideals and values. Yeah, we've yeah, had episodes. There's nothing saying, wrong with the label because that's that's what it is. I mean, it is. Oh, it's I don't, a shortcut because it's too time consuming to say, "Hey, this is Bob. <laughs> He's pro-choice and pro higher taxes and pro regulation and pro universal health." You don't want to say that, so you just say, "Here's Bob. He's a progressive. Here's a Bob. He's a Democrat." It's just simpler that way, right? It saves us time. But then people try to say, "Oh no, I think for them. I think for myself." It's like, no, you're really not. Your, all your viewpoints can immediately fit in the same box as these other 150 million people. Yes, <laughs> so, that's not a coincidence. We, we have we have we have terms for when that happens. Exactly. We have things that we can call people when that kind of thing happens. Yeah. So Michael Mouse is like, I'm not a libertarian. I'm an anarchist. It's great. Okay, great. Do you believe in capitalism? Yeah. Okay, so you're an anarcho-capitalist. That's a type of libertarian. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I would have a free market success story, but I think the free market success story is vague. Uh, shaming Dave Smith and getting a. Uh... Do you want me to give up? Well, it's not. One? It's not successful yet. Oh, do you have one? Oh, that's true. Vague might be one. a failure. Oh yeah, give us, give us, give us another one then, <laughs> just was... in case, just in case you fail at this other one. I was listening to one of your podcasts. I was trying to think of my own free market success story if I ever came back, and what came to me was video games. I think video games are just an amazing, amazing um, uh, symbol of the success of free markets. I mean, do you guys were you guys ever gamers as kids? Like, have an NES or something, or an Atari or a sure. Super Nintendo? Yeah, I had an NES and a Sega Genesis. Just so I just um, I have a PS4. I haven't bought a PS5 yet, but I just finished a game the other day called Ghost of Tsushima, which is basically you play as a samurai and you're fighting a Mongolian invasion. And it's just a magical experience. Like the gameplay is amazing, the story is beautiful. Like it's like it's like watching a um, an Akira Kurosawa movie. He was a famous Japanese director. Um, there's beautiful graphics, and I was just thinking like this is you know, thirty years of gaming. It's just it's amazing to see the progression, um, just across all August all fronts. Music, you know, pretty much all the major um, AAA games now have you know a have its own soundtrack just like a movie they have um you know great graphics professional story you know a story that is involved and has cut scenes between you know action sequences it's 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 all it's like a movie basically that a movie that you get to partake in and i mean it's such a it's such a massive leap over 
you know, the 2D side-scrollers like Mario mm-hmm. that you play, you know, in the early 90s. Um, and, you know, it, it never stops progressing, you know. You know we so were you, like, too. always a pretty big gamer? Um, I had an NES as a kid, so we played a lot of... My parents didn't buy us a lot of games for it, so we played, like, Mario 1 and 3, Duck Hunter, a few other games yeah. for it. Double Dragon. Mario, Super Mario Brothers 3 is the greatest video game that's ever been created. Yeah, it's one, definitely one of them. And then I so a generation or two. I mean, I guess I played a lot of my friends in 64s. And then I had Xbox and really got into like the Halo franchise. Yeah, Halo was huge. I never I never played Halo. The last game I played, I don't play video games anymore, really. But um, I had a three, Xbox 360. I played Skyrim and Oblivion before that. And that game just like took over my life for a time. It was yeah, yeah. pretty incredible. Um, and that was years ago. So I don't even know what they come out with now. But I remember thinking like exactly what you're just saying when I was playing Skyrim. Like, man, imagine, like when I was a kid, we played Super Mario Brothers. And now they have this whole story and side quests. I don't know the right terminology. But it's basically like you're living in a world. And you can you can either follow the story or go do what you want, and it's like, like when Super Mario Brothers was, you go from left to right and jump, and which was awesome, by the way. But you just see the development and how far it's come, and how much money do you think it costs to develop a game these days? Oh, like a real game. I mean, a big game over a hundred million dollars. They have yeah staff of hundreds of people. Um, well, how much? How much does like a, a new game cost? Um, the new ha- generation, like, it's about $60. Okay. Yeah. Has well, that price kind of been steady? Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you go back to um, two or three generations ago, so like the original Xbox from the early 2000s, 50 bucks. So it's only gone up 10 bucks in like 20 years. And well, I remember and, thinking and, the amount of entertainment you get out of 50 bucks, you can't beat it. Yeah. I mean, this Ghost of Tsushima game I've played for two or three months now, and I've probably played for 40, 50 hours. You know, so I looked up. Ticket. I looked up the price of uh, Super Mario Brothers, the original one, when it first sold, and apparently that listed in 1985 for twenty five dollars. Oh wow! So just what that is that inflation calculator? Let's see. And that game you can beat. I mean. Granted, I already I've played it many many times, but you can I could beat that game in probably two hours, <laughs> or an hour maybe even. Well, because I also know a lot of the shortcuts, right? That'll help you skip levels. But if I had to play it every single level, I could probably beat it in three hours, definitely. So I just went to uh, usinflationcalculator.com. If in 1985 I purchased an item for twenty five dollars, then in 2020 that same item would cost. Sixty dollars and fifty cents. Wow. Well, <laughs> okay, that's so a that's the same, but so I was not expecting that. And the quality has just improved tremendously. And yeah, it doesn't that's stop. incredible. And when you so look you're... at video games, you know this is not a you know the government does not extensively regulate it, and there's you know a lot of there's very robust competition. I mean, within the gaming, the games themselves, there's multiple studios making games. And then you've got, you know, three major console makers and then they compete against the PC where pretty much anybody can develop a game for. So the, the market's very robust, minimal regulation. Um, yeah, just very minimal government interference. And then you see what 
results, just constant advancements. That's incredible. It's like the same price as Mario Brothers. That's like the market in action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much more productive? How you can? How much more you can get with the same amount of purchasing power? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's and pretty it incredible. Stops. Man, what's a, I, I remember I was excited and thought it was crazy when uh, I played World Series Baseball 93 and they had a play-by-play announcer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, those sports games, um, and then they come out in like, oh, a new edition pretty now. much every year. I mean, of, of Madden. There used to be, I mean, Madden is, I think, the only NFL game now, but there used to be three or four of them, but then the NFL, I guess, restricted their license to the Madden franchise only. But, uh, I remember playing Metal Gear Solid on PlayStation and thinking that was insane. That was the original PlayStation, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And if a game's That's... successful, you know, they keep coming out sequels. And gaming, you know, I mean, a lot of times in movies, sequels are not as good as the original. But um, in gaming, it's excellent areas where sequels tend to actually be better. Like the games get better and better as you go along. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of times in movies, the I, this is what I learned in my film class. They have a big blockbuster hit. It's like you have to do a sequel because you know it will make money. And when a studio can make money on a movie, they got to do it. So they probably put a little less effort into it or whatever. They just want to get something out because they know everyone who liked the first one or a significant portion of them are going to go watch the second one. Mm-hmm. And like so it's Star- an easy moneymaker for the studios. Like the, Star- like the Star Wars holiday special? Probably. <laughs> Or be really the Star Wars the Disney trilogy, which is just dreadful. Man, uh, I, I are you familiar with the uh, holiday special? Vic, no. I had heard of it. I've never watched it, but I know this. Like I started watching it this weekend. I found it on YouTube. It's pretty easy to find on YouTube. Oh, really? Okay. And and it's all like the Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, uh What's her name? All the originals. Peter Fisher. Yeah, Fisher. and other celebrities in there too. It is. One of the worst things I've ever seen. Oh, they probably exactly what they were like. We can make money on this, so let's do it. I think apparently what happened, like you can't even buy copies. It was so bad, and it got like, it, and they realized it was so bad. I think they just like pulled it back, and like didn't allow much knowledge of it to be known. Yeah, I recommend I- going and watching it a little bit because it is just the most absurd thing. It, like the the first ten minutes is uh, Chewbacca's wife and son and father in their house, just just hanging out doing whatever, and you kind of understand what's going on, but you have to make sense of them just going <gasps> to each other. It's oh, it's it's unbelievably bad. It's so bad. Well, <laughs> I just had to I I had to mention that I have to tell people about that monstrosity I saw this weekend. Yeah, I'd heard how bad it was by just because of that, I never bothered to lo- watch it. Yeah. Maybe I should. It's probably better than it's got to be better than episode seven. Right. Or an episode which was la- the last Jedi. It has to be better than that one. Right. <laughs> um, I don't know if I saw the last Jedi. I saw maybe I did. I'm I'm, I'm I haven't seen one of the most recent movies. I um, went the no, Force Awakens, this is, The Last Jedi, and then The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, I I never saw The Rise of Skywalker after the Last Jedi. I think I, I saw The Rise of Skywalker. Whatever. 
whatever was before. I like like I'm I'm not a big Star Wars buff. So I've always liked them. And so the, the more recent ones, I'm like, ah, it's a, it's, you know, spaceships shooting lasers. This is great. Um, I, I will bet, you know, any sort of money that you will be like, this is worse than really? anything that they've, it's, it's just. Well, merging topics. Skywalker wears eyeliner. <laughs> For no reason. Well, merging topics, there's a lot of great Star Wars video games. And one of my favorite video games ever was called Knights of the Old Republic, which mm-hmm. was a Star Wars game that came out around 2003. And I'll tell you what, it's on par with any Star Wars movie. Like, it's as good as The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, nice. So if you ever, if you were a real Star Wars buff, as far as you really like the movies, that game is really good. A must, I, I used a must to play, play. Uh, was it Rogue Squadron? Yeah, Rogue Squadron, I think that was on GameCube, right? Yeah, I used to play at my friend's house. There's a new game that just came out called Star Wars Squadrons. Which is it VR? It might be VR. Um, hmm. Oh, it was on PS4 and Xbox. Oh, maybe I can get it. But it's also a, a space combat game. Yeah, Star, Star Wars is a lot, has a very rich history of great video games. Yeah, I remember we had a, uh, I don't think we had any computer to play, but we had a copy of uh, TIE Fighter mm-hmm. in my parents' basement. Yeah, TIE Fighter X-Wing. This what came out maybe the mid-90s, right? Uh, I think it was like from the 80s. This was Really? Like, TIE Fighter was the, in the 80s? I thought it was the mid-90s. I think so. Let me, TIE Fighter. I could be wrong here. Yeah, 94 is when it came out. Unless there's another oh. one from the 80s. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Whatever. Yeah, and that's going on probably 25 years of great Star Wars games. I mean, there's some good ones in the late 90s, like Jedi Knight, um, Dark Forces. A lot of good ones. So Star Wars is another great uh, free market success story. <laughs> yes. That's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that's a... Uh, 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 a franchise that has some staying power. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, I think they're going to make it. Yep, I'm looking forward to episode uh, 27. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a few decades from now. <laughs> Great. So, all right, uh, Vake, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you kind of do it because this is something that's kind of been maybe never um, was uh, expressed the way you did it but kind of something that was kind of bouncing around maybe in the recesses of my brain, uh, this kind of topic about, well, there should be these guys. Maybe, why aren't they talking about it more? And, uh, yeah, I appreciate you going out on a limb because it's not the most comfortable thing to do. I mean, a lot of these guys are our heroes. Um, and so it can be a little awkward or uncomfortable and maybe feel like we're being too critical or something. But I think at the same time, you know, no one is, uh, no one is above criticism or critiques and um, we got to make sure that we don't, you know, put people on too high of pedestals. We don't stop Um, criticizing. Yeah. We got to keep them honest. And I think that's what we do. I think we, on our show, I think I take pride in that we speak our minds about stuff and, and we don't really don't censor ourselves if we find something that's not quite right, no matter uh, who that may be about. So. Yeah. Like they say, uh, always shit on shit all over your heroes. Right. Right. Yes. 
shit on yes. them relentlessly. And that's what's great about Bitcoin is it unfortunate, fortunately or unfortunately, Bitcoin's given us uh, a lot of opportunities to kill our heroes. Yeah, yeah, Trace Mayer, Roger Veer, mm-hmm. Shoes, and Morgan Miggoff. Yeah. Yep. Gavin Andreessen. Oh, that was before yeah. my time. Well, nevertheless, yeah, he is definitely one person that um, kind of went down a wrong path. Although, I don't, have you listened to the latest noted Bitcoin podcast? Podcast. No, I know. It's I got to listen to that. It's it's my next one. It's very good, very good. Yeah. They talk a little about the before Segwit. They talk about the um the pay to script hash war, which was something I wasn't even aware of <laughs> for my time. Even nice. Yep. That'll all be right, good. guys. So cool. Yeah, why don't you uh if if you want people to find you and to we'll direct all screaming and autistic libertarian rage for questioning. And criticizing <laughs> your over to Vake. So um, yeah, sure. I'm at Vake Raj V A K E R A J on Twitter, and that's about it. Yeah, so that'll be on the show notes page, McFlugel.com/slash two two eight. I will also link to the four previous episodes you were on. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Episode forty six, forty seven, sixty four, and one hundred eighty eight. Nice. Am I the all uh, your most frequent guest? Or how, who do I have to catch up to? Uh, Car Camp it. Car Camp it. He's, oh, damn it. There was one time where we just He shows got, up at the studio and we're like, all right, I guess we'll just go with him. And there was also a time where it was like four or five weeks in a row where it was just like texting Monday afternoon. Like, what should we talk about? I don't know. Want to text Car and talk about Bitcoin? Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> We'll all surpass him sooner or later. Yes. yes. All right. Yes. We'll keep, we'll well, I mean, you—he has not surpassed you on a uh, cutest guest. So. Okay. Well, great. You have that. <laughs> yeah. That's not likely anytime soon. <laughs> but he does park a jeep better than me. There you go. No, that's a reference to Bitblock Boom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I gave him a ride. I know he drives a Subaru because I did a really uh, bad farty job, and he made fun of me for it. Ah, nice. All right. All right. Well, once again, Vake, thanks for coming on. And uh, to our guests, thanks Mm -hmm. for listening, and we will catch you next week. Peace. Peace.